Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the CEO of MyPillow. Cancel culture has not only affected myself and MyPillow, but millions of you out there. My employees and I want to personally thank each and every one of you for all of your support. At MyPillow, we not only have pillows, but we have hundreds of products, including my new slippers, bathrobes, sleepwear, and my new beds. We're offering the best gifts ever for the best prices ever. For example, we have this exclusive offer on the standard size My Pillows, regularly $69.98, now only $19.98 with your promo code. We also have the queen size My Pillows, regularly $79.98, now only $24.98 with your promo code. And we have the king size, regularly $89.98, now only $29.98 with your promo code. Go to MyPillow.com and use promo code RENEGADE or call 800-889-6817 to receive this exclusive offer. Talk Live. You can join us here and take control of the airwaves. The number is 603-283-6160. Project Veritas has apparently been raided by the FBI as of yesterday. And we've got that story for you. Plus, on the way, uh, drug decriminalization comes to Detroit. We'll talk about that. Bonnie has that story with you tonight. It is Ian. And Bonnie. And again, the number 603-283-6160. Plus, soon in San Francisco, one of the most restrictive places in the United States as far as COVID crackdowns, five-year-olds may soon have to show vaccine passport cards and able to do things like go to McDonald's or wherever else that, you know, in public that they uh, would want to go. So we could talk about all of those things, and of course your calls and thoughts are welcome. Uh, apparently Project Veritas has been raided in a report posted by James O'Keefe, who is the founder of Project Veritas. He had this to say on their video channel at Project Veritas. Making this statement, I am putting myself at great risk because on November 4th, Project Veritas came under attack. I awoke to the news that apartments and homes of Project Veritas journalists, or former journalists, had been raided by FBI agents. It appears the Southern District of New York now has journalists in their sights for the supposed crime of doing their jobs lawfully and honestly, or at least this journalist. I had to think long and hard. So he himself was not raided. Just like his employees? But other people who work for Project Veritas were, and as he said, former employees as well. And he gets into uh, what he believes the reasons are for so, making this. It's so weird that their homes were raided. I thought you were going to say like some headquarters where they print these, I don't know, where they, you know, meet or something. I don't and- know if they have a headquarters. I, I mean, I get the feeling that Project Veritas is fairly decentralized, you know, because they've got people in different parts of the country, right? So recent reports from them were coming out of wherever Pfizer was based. You know, remember they were like doing undercover camera operations where they would go on a date with some guy who works for Pfizer or another guy that works for Moderna and get them to spill the beans. So they probably have people like living in, you know, different cities that they can call on to do stuff. So that's my guess. It's a decision that only I can make. They don't want me to defend myself and immediately tried to silence me. That's why the cover letter to the grand jury subpoena we received contains 
this language. Quote, The government hereby requests that you voluntarily refrain from disclosing the existence of the subpoena to any third party. While you are under no obligation to comply with our request, we are requesting you not to make any disclosure in order to preserve the confidentiality of the investigation. What would you do if the government told you that they wanted you to keep quiet about the fact that you've been subpoenaed to, I presume, testify against your own employees? But you were uh, not going to be in trouble if you didn't listen. I'd go on Free Talk Live and I'd tell everyone. Yeah, and good for him for coming out publicly with this. Although, as he points out, obviously there's no legal penalty that they can expressly say of, oh, well, we're going to come after you. But that's sort of the un- that's sort of the unstated assumption here is, oh, well, if you don't do what they say, then maybe they'll come raid your house. Mm. Maybe you'll be the next target. And because the disclosure of the existence of this investigation might interfere with and impede the investigation, unquote. But while the Department of Justice requested us to not disclose the existence of the subpoena, something very unusual happened. Within an hour of one of our reporters' homes being secretly raided by the FBI, the New York Times, who we are currently suing for defamation, contacted the Project Veritas reporter to ask for comment. We do not know how the New York Times was aware of the execution of a search warrant at a reporter's home or the subject matter of the search warrant as a grand jury investigation is secret. Well, I can tell you how they knew. It was an agent who told them. Somebody with the FBI who was going to raid this person's house in wherever it was clued the New York Times into the fact that it was happening. So even though it was a secret warrant and a secret raid and they wanted... But wouldn't the FBI not want that to get out since they didn't want the subpoena to get out? Well, again, there's individual agents within the FBI who can do, you know, their own thing. Maybe they don't agree with something that was going on or what, I don't know. Hmm. But that's likely where that information came from. Somebody leaked it to the New York Times. The FBI took materials of current former Project Veritas journalists, despite the fact that our legal team previously contacted the Department of Justice and voluntarily conveyed unassailable facts that demonstrate Project Veritas's lack of involvement in criminal activity and or criminal intent. Like any reporter, we regularly deal with the receipt of source information and take steps to verify its authenticity, legality, and newsworthiness. Our efforts were the stuff of responsible, ethical journalism, and we are in no doubt that Project Veritas acted properly at each and every step. However, it but that doesn't matter. Because even if you've acted properly at each and every step, they can still raid your house. And they can still destroy your life. They can take everything that they want to take out of your house. They can pull all the books out of the bookshelves and throw them on the ground. That's what they did here. Yeah. You're referring to. Throw tables over in the basement. Yep. They can do whatever they want. They can unplug uh, broadcast equipment as they did here in in the studio, even though they weren't supposed to take the broadcast equipment. They just, you know, did some damage. Uh, And they can do all of that stuff, and the odds that you're going to be able to get any kind of justice for it, because even if they drop the charges, now again, they haven't actually charged anyone here. So this was a warrant for Project Veritas to collect information. So they didn't go in like they did with us earlier this year when when the raids happened against me and Aria and the rest of the Crypto Six. They, uh, you know, they arrested us during those raids, and then they took a bunch of stuff. In this case, they just went in and took stuff. 
So they didn't arrest the reporters yet because they don't even have a case yet. This was just a raid to try to build a case. That's why they are uh, telling him that he needs to come to the grand jury so they can ask him questions to try to bring charges uh, against people. It appears journalism itself may now be on trial. Late last year, we were approached by tipsters claiming that a copy well, of actual... First of all, it's been that way, James. I mean, I understand that now they're targeting you, but journalism's been under attack. I mean, Barrett Brown, I believe was his name. He was the guy who went to prison in the United States for posting a link in a chat room on the internet to some, I think it was torrent files or something like that. He went to prison for that, and what? that was years ago. What does that have to do with journalism? He's a journalist. No. Uh, and uh, I forget, maybe it wasn't torrent files. It was some sort of hacked information. It was, it was hacked information or something like that. But he didn't actually have the information. He just linked to the information. So he linked to evidence of a crime or something like that, and they went after him for it. Uh, they've threatened other journalists for uh, not revealing their sources. They've attempted to punish them for that. Of course, Julian Assange is currently facing extradition still after years of being held in the UK. And it's the United States government that wants to go after him. So, you know, this isn't completely unprecedented. It's just now it's striking Project Veritas. And I don't, you know, that's that's bad. I'm not saying that, you know, they deserve it or anything like that. They they do some good reporting. And it's just, you're not the first victim, I guess is what I'm saying here. Actually, Biden's diary. We had never met or heard of the tipsters. The tipsters indicated the diary had been abandoned in a room in which Ms. Biden stayed at the time, and in which the tipsters stayed in temporarily after Ms. Biden departed the room. The tipsters indicated that the diary included explosive allegations against then-candidate Joe Biden. The tipsters indicated that they were negotiating with a different media outlet for the payment of monies for the diary. The tipsters were represented by attorneys who handled the negotiations with Project Veritas. We investigated the claims provided to us, as journalists do. We took steps to corroborate the authenticity of the diary. At the end of the day, we made the ethical decision that because, in part, we could not determine if the diary was real, if the diary, in fact, belonged to Ashley Biden, or if the contents of the diary occurred, we could not publish the diary in any part thereof. We attempted to return the diary to an attorney representing Ms. Biden, but that attorney refused to authenticate it. Project Veritas gave the diary to law enforcement to ensure it could be returned to its rightful owner. We never published it. Now, Ms. Biden's father's Department of Justice, specifically the United States Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York, appears to be investigating the situation. It sounds like that they tried to set them up with this diary. Maybe it was a fake diary and they tried to set them up. We're going to continue here in moments. It's Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live, and you can bring up whatever's on your mind. All you have to do is dial in here at 603-283-6160. We're talking about the FBI raiding Project Veritas. Uh, multiple, apparently, of their employees and or former employees were raided yesterday morning. Uh, the head of Project Veritas appears to have avoided uh, the raid, but obviously he's still dealing with the fallout and the attack on his organization. We'll continue with that story. And of course, again, your calls and thoughts are welcome. It's Ian and Bonnie in the studio tonight. The number is 603-283-6160. 
And we've been telling you about how Intercoin can help any business and organization launch their own currency or raise money using their own token. And now Intercoin has launched its investor token worldwide, and for the first time it's available on an exchange. You can create your own account over at xmarkets.com. That's exmarkets.com with just an email address so you can keep your privacy intact. And you can then deposit dozens of cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, trade them for Tether, and then buy ITR, which is the Intercoin Investor Token. You can learn more about the Intercoin vision at intercoin.org and buy or sell ITR on xmarkets.com. Exmarkets.com. You might just be advancing the cause of liberty around the world. As we continue here, playing the audio from the founder of Project Veritas, James O'Keefe, speaking. And again, you know, you were saying, Bonnie, you were wondering if this was their headquarters that was raided. I suspect they don't have a headquarters. I mean, the video with with James O'Keefe here, it it appears to be shot like in his home. And who is James O'Keefe exactly? Like what is he's the founder of Project Veritas, from what I can tell. If he's not the founder, he's certainly the public face. He's the guy that's in like all of its videos, essentially, is their spokesperson. But I believe he's their founder. So in the uh, the video, he's just kind of like standing in front of like a hutch or something like that, some sort of piece of furniture. It says Project Veritas behind him, but it doesn't look like he's in any kind of like office. There's just like a, a lamp you would see in somebody's house behind him. So I suspect he's just running this from his own home because there's really no reason to have an office unless you need an office for some for some reason, right? Like unless you have to have a place where salesmen are going to go and make phone calls or something you know he doesn't he doesn't print newspapers right so he doesn't need a printing press or anything like that so it would seem like an unnecessary um, way to spend spend money would be to have an office but let's go on here with what he has to say so basically to if you're just tuning in he believes the fbi may be researching or trying to gather information to bring charges in regards to a diary that was allegedly owned by joe biden's daughter who apparently is named ashley They had some tipsters offer this book, uh, supposed diary, to Project Veritas. They were unable to actually verify the ownership of this book, and so they refused to buy it. And the tipsters who were offering it to them said that they stayed in a hotel room, which was they'd stayed in the same hotel room after Ashley Biden had stayed in that room, and they found it. That's even more reason... That's another thing I'm thinking of, the fact that it was a hotel room. Like, I've worked in hotels. I really just don't think a book could get left behind like that. You're saying there's very little odds that a janitor or, you know, the maid would, would leave something like that behind for yeah, the like next customer? Yeah, something obviously not like the Bible or the little notepads. And, I mean, I didn't even work in, like, high-quality hotels like this woman probably stayed in. And, you know, I just don't think something like that could get missed so you think the tipsters are lying about how they got this thing. Now, whether or not it was really her diary, of course, is another question. Like, what are the odds that they would even be able to find out that they stayed in the same room as her? Usually that's really confidential information. Like, Yeah, the hotel's if, not going to tell you. Yeah, if you found out that she was staying there, you couldn't go to the front desk and be like, what room is Miss Biden in? Obviously. They shouldn't tell you. Like, well, a really sloppy hotel might give you that kind of information, but yeah, most... Most employees at hotels are instructed to keep I mean, that I'm information sure you could, like, private. Pay them to do it, but you know what I'm saying. Like it would be, there's already that hurdle. Then the maids would have to. Then the Joe Biden's daughter 
has this thing with her she knows probably shouldn't get out because mm-hmm. it has like crap she's been talking about her dad the president in yeah, it it's got dirt and then she accidentally leaves it and then the housekeepers don't find it you're saying way too unlikely that any just of these things unlikely. would all combine together to actually happen that's why i just think that they were these tipsters were people probably in the government they were trying mm-hmm. to set up project veritas to you know do something like slander joe biden's daughter and they didn't fall for it and now the FBI is just trying to do something to see what sticks. Let me continue here with uh, James O'Keefe's statements. Claiming the diary was stolen. We don't know if it was, but it begs the question. This is what the FBI, apparently, they said, he said they had tried to give it back to uh, Ashley Biden's attorney who refused to take it. Then they tried to give because it to law enforcement. Because if she took it, that would be like confirming that confirm what it. they read was right. true. Uh, so then they tried to give it to law enforcement and they said that, uh, that the diary was stolen. In what world is the alleged theft of a diary investigated by the president's FBI and his Department of Justice? A diary. This federal investigation smacks of politics. Project Veritas never threatened or engaged in any illegal conduct. Should the Southern District of New York try to take away our First Amendment rights and uncover and publish newsworthy stories without government intimidation, be assured Project Veritas will not back down. Nothing stops at Project Veritas. Let me be clear. Our mission is to serve the public's right to know by illuminating, revealing, exposing information others wish to hide for the wrong reasons. To quote Lord Acton, we believe everything kept in secret degenerates. Which is why I'm glad that they revealed this. Again, if you're just tuning in, the FBI has issued him and Project Veritas a subpoena, grand jury subpoena, which means they want to ask questions about something presumably whatever the subject of this investigation is that led them to raid multiple project veritas journalists so the fact that they put that out there despite a sort of a veiled threat in this grand jury subpoena saying they wanted them to keep it quiet hey you don't have to keep this quiet we can't legally make you keep it quiet but we really want you to was essentially what the uh, the federal I don't know if it's the U.S. Attorney's Office, I guess, would be the ones issuing the uh, the subpoena. That's what they said. And, uh, and you know, true to his his vow, essentially, here for Project Veritas, that they're in favor of transparency. They're putting this information out there. So good for them on that. We don't mislead or conceal. We investigate facts and potential newsworthy information. Sometimes, as was the case here, after we investigate, we decide not to publish a news story. But Project Veritas will run from nothing and we will hide from nothing. We exist for the very purpose of discovering and revealing the truth and hope to make the world a more transparent place. Now, this is not the first time we've been attacked, and it will not be the last. We know why. We've investigated powerful people, and in many ways, we are the very tip of the spear. But we never break... Yeah, and and good for them for that. They've definitely made some pretty powerful reports this year alone, uh, just in regards to the COVID insanity out there. They've revealed the Department of Health and Human Services as being lying hypocrites. They've revealed uh, the, the the pharmaceutical manufacturers, Pfizer and Moderna, for instance, Johnson & Johnson. They did undercover operations, I believe, on all three of them that just revealed that they are incredibly evil organizations. One of their employees even described his 
working arrangement as essentially working for an evil corporation. He actually came right out and said that. Of course, you know, he was being secretly recorded, so he thought he was just telling his date that, and then it ended up getting revealed. Uh, So there's more coming up here on the Raids Against Project Veritas, and you can join us and share your thoughts on Press Freedom. When Monster Hunter International discovers one of Isaac Newton's wardstones being auctioned off, they decide to steal it and use it to destroy the Chaos God once and for all. But a mysterious thief upends their plan, and it soon becomes a race against time as something much older and infinitely more evil awakens in the jungles of South America. Monster Hunter Bloodlines by New York Times bestselling author Larry Correa and Bane Books. Visit MonsterHunterNation.com for more it is free talk live and open phones here if you want to join us the number is 603-283-6160 the latest attack on freedom of the press here in the united states is now against project veritas with multiple project veritas employees and former employees homes being raided what sounds like in a coordinated raid happening yesterday morning just like happened against free talk live and two of our co-hosts one of our former co-hosts and uh, the the crypto six as we are called if you go to the crypto com, you can learn more about what happened to us on march 16th at least two two other former co-hosts and three current hosts yeah there were three well they're not all current now because one of them's banned from yeah. uh, from being on the on the air. But six people who were ostensibly involved in Bitcoin related activities they are coming after us with various different victimless crime uh, charges, and they want to put a lot of us away in prison for a very long time. And uh, so far, Project Veritas is not facing charges, but they have had their homes raided, and uh, that is a pretty upsetting thing to uh, to have happen. Now, I wonder. You know, how many people were involved? They're not saying that in this particular story. He's not revealing details on who was raided or where the raids happened. But the uh, the case is coming out of the Southern District of New York. I believe that's the same uh, group of prosecutors that went after Ross Ulbricht, uh, if I recall correctly, the founder of the Silk Road. So these guys love going after non-crimes, like no so-called crimes with uh, no victim. Not that I ever think it's okay for this extra democratic organization called the fbi that you know nobody voted for these people they just you know claim to have lots of power over everyone in the united states mm-hmm. um not that i ever think it's okay for them to go after anyone but it seems even worse for them to go into people's homes and traumatize them and search through everything they own when there are not even charges right they're just looking to gather evidence that was the point of these warrants they didn't arrest anybody they just took It's like you can go into anyone's house looking for something they might have in their home that's illegal. Yeah. Well, all they had to do was go to a judge, uh, you know, somebody wearing a robe, one of their robed priests. That works for them. That works for them. With them. And yeah, right. And these judges rubber stamp, right? Like, oh, you need a warrant? Okay. Stamped. Right. There's there's not really any serious process here. They fill out a form. They swear to the judge that they believe some evidence exists in so-and-so journalists from the Project Veritas uh, organization's house and this other house over here, we believe that we will find evidence of these crimes if you let us come in and search. And the judge just says, okie doke. And then they come in probably at 6 in the morning because he said it was in the morning. And they raid your house and 
take whatever they want. They want to take your files from your filing cabinet. They take your computers. Any place that they're looking for evidence of whatever ostensibly might be involved with some sort of, uh, you know, bad behavior regarding journalism, they're going to take files. They're going to take computers. They're going to take laptops and phones. Um, and, and again, he doesn't get into the details of exactly what they took or who was raided. Uh, but I do want to continue with just a little bit more here from uh, Project Founder... And CEO, apparently, of Project Veritas, James O'Keefe. Here he goes. The law. In fact, one of our ethical rules is to act as if there are 12 jurors on our shoulders all the time. And that truth and the truth will vindicate us. When the FBI in the Southern District of New York sees reporters' notebooks, it is not just an attack on Project Veritas. It is an attack on every American and our sacred right to free speech and a free press. The First Amendment is first for a reason. It guarantees all the other rights that follow. And as we're seeing with uh, people who got things taken from this house in the first raid in 2016, they're not going to get their files back. No, it's been more than five years since the first raid against us. Yeah, there there are things that were taken from people that worked here in this uh, at our studio Mm -hmm. that the government says they have no way to prove that there's anything illegal on these like items like computers, but... They're not going to even back until that person can prove that there's not something bad on them. I don't know how that's even a possible. Thing. I don't know how that's even possible. But yeah, that basically they're not going to get their, you know, research and everything that they have. And the reporters for Project Veritas, they're not going to get their research or whatever that they have in their files in their office at their home back nope. ever. It's a good plan to have off-site backups. That's really the only thing that you can do here to remediate this particular thing from happening to you as you pointed out bonnie like they, they take probably didn't stuff. expect something like this to happen to their homes though. no that's true I mean, no one ever expects to be the target of some crazy illegal violent gang uh, but the reality is if you are rattling the cage if you are speaking out against the people in power there's a very good chance you will be targeted especially if like project veritas you're making an impact and people are watching your stuff you know, if you're shouting into a YouTube channel with three three subscribers, they're probably not going to pay much attention to you. But Project Veritas has, I don't know, millions. So they're definitely on the target list. It's all about accountability. Without accountability, freedom itself is an illusion. So the great question is, is this an indicator in the direction that America is going? We've gone far beyond the point yes, of partisan is. politics in this country. They ask us to focus on our divisions. They don't ask us to focus on the things which unite us. What unites us is so much more powerful than what divides us. The First Amendment doesn't just matter to people on one side. It matters to people on all sides. That is why I'm calling on all Americans, and especially all journalists, to stand with us for the right to free speech and the free press, and to send a message that the politics of fear will not prevail in the United States of America. Well... Personally, I think the United States of America is on its last legs at this point. I don't think there's anything that can keep it together, and I don't want to see it be kept together. I don't want to save the nation or save the United States or save the Constitution, which a lot of the you know people on the right wing seem to believe that they can do. Uh, and I don't disagree with what O'Keefe says about you know the First Amendment being an important concept for people on any side of the political aisle. But the reality is people, they've got a real short-sighted view of things. When they get in, into the halls of power, they believe they're always going to be there. 
and that they can go ahead and use the FBI against their political enemies, and there will be no consequence to them for it. But then, of course, what ends up happening is their political enemies get in control of the federal government and the FBI, and they can turn the, turn the tables. And if you violate uh, people's freedom of speech once, then the next guy who you don't like can use the same precedent to violate freedom of speech against you and against your supporters. So it is a very nasty downward spiral, and both of these sides are guilty of using the power of the state against their political opponents. And it's not something that just gets better. There's no solving this problem, because if you get the, the court system to rule in your favor, if, if the FBI is somehow found liable for this, which, again, I don't think the odds of that are going to happen very, very, you know, they're very slim that that'll ever happen. Because the agents themselves have what's called qualified immunity. And that means that the FBI and other policing agencies, the agents themselves, as long as they believed they were doing the right thing, as long as they didn't know that what they were doing was illegal, they won't face any kind of consequence for it. So that means that they can just keep getting away with it. Unless there's significant court cases that make it very, very clear that they're not supposed to do these sorts of things in the future, they'll keep doing it. And there's no reason why that they won't. Because there's no penalty for them if they keep doing this. It's not like you are going to stop paying for it. Because most Americans understand that if they don't pay whatever the federal government is demanding, well, then the very same thing will happen to them. He sounds like somebody who's, the the guy talking to O'Keefe, he sounds like he's somebody who's like onto something but hasn't quite realize the big picture of the fact that the united states government is the corporation that keeps him in slavery and everyone else he's like oh we need to all rise up to take control of the corporation that's not going to happen just get rid of the system itself yeah and whether or not he'll end up making that connection i don't know there's there's so many people who are completely stuck within the two-party system mentality within the idea that the united states is this wonderful concept that it's them that they are we are the government yeah if only we could just elect the right people, then it would work right. And it's, sorry, it just is never going to work right because it is a organization of power. They are completely almost unlimited in what they can do. And what they're doing to Project Veritas is not new. It's just they're the latest victim. You want to comment? Bring up what you want. The number 603-283-6160. Coming up, we'll talk psychedelics and take your calls. It is Free Talk Live. We open the phones. You can bring up whatever you want. The number here is 603-283-6160. And uh, we're going to go to those calls. Your calls are welcome about anything. With you tonight, you've got Ian. And Bonnie. And again, the number is 603-283-6160. want to say thanks to Brian Lepla, who is a Free Talk Live. Uh, he's one of the new Patreon amps. We started the Patreon a couple weeks ago, and we've had a few dozen folks join already. So thank you to Brian for signing up as a gold-level amplifier, which means that he is contributing 
uh, ten at least ten bucks a month to the uh, the Amps program over at amps.freetalklive.com. That takes you right to our Patreon page, where you can learn more about uh, what you get. You get you know you get some perks, you get some benefits from joining. You also help us spread the ideas of freedom as far and as wide as we can, especially on broadcast radio, where we're heard on over 180 radio stations already. And we can be on we can be on 200, 250, 300. It's possible, but it does take money. It does take some marketing. And it takes some time. So uh, help us out with that over at amps.freetalklive.com like Brian has done. That's amps.freetalklive.com. Let's go to the phones with another journalist. He's an independent guy uh, himself over at ridleyreport.com. Dave Ridley, you're on Free Talk Live. I know you weren't necessarily calling to talk about uh, what happened with Project Veritas, but I, you, you heard some of the discussion, I'm sure. Uh, that they were raided by the FBI, and uh, just you know, as a as a fellow independent journalist, I'm curious as to you uh, to your thoughts on that. Well, my message to them is, if they want to come under our umbrella, then sign up for the Free State Project. But until then, you know, I got Alizia stepping at syndrome. Anything that happens outside New Hampshire is not quite real. What was the? I'm sorry. What was the syndrome? I call it Alizia stepping at syndrome. He was the cardinal of Croatia during World War II. Pretty good guy, but not just not quite good enough, and mm. he. Uh, his, his main flaw was that he just couldn't he couldn't conceive what was happening, you know, overseas, you know, with with the Nazis who he initially allied with. He was kind of the Oscar Schindler of Croatia. Ah, okay. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, yeah, they just everyone's trying to move the mountain, and no matter how powerful you are, you may not be able to move it at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can move a hill, so come help us move the hill. Uh, what you know? What's that guy doing outside New Hampshire? Why doesn't he live here? Well, I don't know if he's a libertarian. I mean, he might be a right winger. A lot of it seems like a lot of the support for Project Veritas seems to come from uh, the right wing. But honestly, I don't know anything about him. I just know that he's done some good reporting on some issues, but uh, but I can't say anything about his his you know belief system. We got to be careful. We don't want to bring a bunch of uh, hard right wingers in here just because they might agree with us on some issues. We definitely only want the people that understand. You know, liberty. They understand that uh, in order to be free, you have to allow others to be free. That uh, that understand the ideas of non-aggression. That's to me the most important thing. And now, why they're not coming here? Well, that's a whole other story. A, a lot of them are still under the deluded belief that they can change things in New York or California or Texas, uh, Texas or whatever, or or of the crazy belief that Texas is somehow a free place to begin with. It's actually the least free as far as personal freedoms is concerned, according to the Freedom in the 50 States study that is done every couple of years. Perfect or not, he'd be safer here. Well, that's probably true. Well, I mean, as, when we secede, he'll be uh, he'll be safer. For right now, the uh, the federal gang is still allowed to crawl all over uh, New Hampshire and and rape and pillage and do whatever horrible things that they do. Yeah, I think they face more consequences when they do it here. But well, they anyway, definitely face uh, more more likelihood of somebody showing up with a video camera. I mean, that definitely is more likely. There are people who are are, are willing to back up their friends here. Uh, we've got some of the best cop blockers. We've got the best First Amendment auditors. We've got uh, some really good activists who really care about freedom, and they're willing to put their butts on the line. Uh, of course, we had Joa from Breaking the Flaw on last night talking about the crazy corruption going on in uh, Charlestown, New Hampshire, and those guys uh, put themselves in serious harm's way to investigate that stuff. So, yeah, we've definitely got the folks to to stand up here at the very least, even though the federal government is, as you say, a mountain, and they're very difficult to uh, to stand up to. The hill. 
but God bless those guys. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, here's a, there is another thing that New Hampshire is doing to strike back against the federal government this week, and that is, uh, I guess, reopen or uh, rebuild rebuildnh.com is asking the governor and asking you to ask the governor to call a special session of the legislature to hear what's basically a nullification bill. What is it? So it's it, it, uh, according to reopen, it's just quote a bill to prohibit state agencies from aiding in enforcement of the mandates, unquote. They, they're referring to the federal mandates. Oh, this thing uh, from OSHA? Yeah, they're trying to make it so that the feds can, or the state can't cooperate. Hmm, okay. Well, I don't yeah. think uh, old Sununu is going to be doing that because he loves the federal government. So he would have to voluntarily do it just because, oh, a lot of people ask me to do it. I, if that is that the only way to get him to do it? Uh, they do not have the two-thirds majority they need to go around him, I think. So that's mm-hmm. probably the only step. that we, I guess the, the reason they want to have a special session is because obviously these mandates come into play pretty soon. Right. And they want to get some kind of legislation in, in place and in, 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 in effect uh, soon. Uh, so that's why they would have to have this early uh, legislature to kind of vote quickly on this on this uh, this legislation. And what, what you're referring to is the fact that the New Hampshire legislature only meets for part of the year. They're not a full time legislative body. They're only there. You know, they have House hearings in like January, February and March. And then they have, you know, Senate hearings at those same times. And then later they reconcile the bills. And it's it's usually over and done with by some point in the summertime. The bills either pass or, the, or they don't. And and then the rest of the year, then they file new bills at the end of the summer so we're in that that period where the new bills have been filed for 2022 so yeah they're they're calling for a special meeting i mean they're asking the same guy who was pissed that the executive council voted down the 27 million dollars in covid bribe money the same governor who was mad that those executive counselors did the right thing and said no to the federal government because he's completely beholden to the feds he wants to become a federal uh, guy he wants to be a u.s senator i believe next he's going to walk out of the uh, governor's seat next year and run for a u.s senate seat it's the same governor who doesn't give a a crap what his uh, apparently constituents want. He even got his brother to pass a state, I mean, a city ordinance uh, to stop people from protesting when they were protesting weekly in front of his house. That's right. They passed a so-called picketing ban and they are continuing to prosecute the people that they've ticketed for that, the peaceful protesters. So the prosecutor admitted that it was just to stop them, stop the protesters. Yeah, it was about protecting the governor. Uh, so I don't expect this guy is going to do anything against uh, the federal government. But, you know, eh, stranger things have happened. Ridley, anything else you want to share? Well, yeah, I mean, Reopen does. Well, that used, they used to be called Reopening H, but yeah, they, right. now they're called RebuildingH.com. And they do have a history of being able to get a lot of emails into the into the inboxes of, of the governor and other other state officials. So Yeah, but you know he doesn't read them. Yeah, I think you may be. I think you may be right that he will do this, but he'll see. He'll see this, and it will have some effect on his uh, on his what he thinks he can get away with. Mm. I hope you're right, Ridley. Anything else you want to share? That is all. Thanks for the call tonight. Uh, it's Dave Ridley from RidleyReport.com. Uh, he's been reporting a lot recently on New Hampshire independence and the movement to declare independence from the United States. Something that honestly can't happen soon enough. And thankfully, we don't need the governor's permission to do that. In fact, he's not even a factor when the uh, the state house and the state senate votes over sixty percent each to approve the uh, the proposed constitutional amendment that has been put in by a free stater uh, state rep 
Mike Sylvia and nine co-sponsors. When that thing gets approved by the, the House and Senate, which it could, it's not impossible. Now, we don't know. We haven't seen any real significant way to take their temperature on this issue yet. We know there's going to be some significant opposition, and we know there's going to be a lot of people that are arguing for this. It's ultimately going to come down to whether or not enough people show up, whether or not, whether or not enough warm bodies come in the middle of wintertime to the state house it's the most difficult time to travel in new hampshire right like it's dangerous to uh, to drive on icy roads or whatever and they hold these meetings in the dead of winter so whether or not you can take hundreds of people and fill up the state house on this particular issue if that happens and it could then that's going to be a serious motivation for a lot of these state reps and the state senators to take this issue seriously this is not some sort of weirdo fringe issue here in New Hampshire, a lot of people are in support of independence. We've had people calling into the show, uh, giving examples of friends or just, you know, total strangers, people on the street, whatever, folks they're talking to about this issue who favor this. I've ha- had to have talked to over 100 people personally that favor it. Now, are you talking about at like protests or whatever? At protests and my friends, just New Hampshire people yeah. who favor it. Yeah. Me personally only, like, and I don't really get out of my house that much. Yeah, and it's one thing to go to a protest, but it's another thing to just be at you know a restaurant or something like that and talk to somebody who you don't know and who's not there for protest purposes, who's not likely to be on your side uh, to begin with. Even a lot of the New Hampshire natives seem to be interested in this. And it's a discussion that has barely even gotten started. So very interesting things happening here. Of course, your calls and thoughts are welcome. On the way, uh, Bonnie, you've got news about Detroit. There's a ballot initiative that apparently has passed regarding psychedelics coming up. Is your broken heart stopping you from being authentically happy? My name is Jeremy West, and for a limited time, I am running a free online class to teach you what most people don't know about how to deal with your feelings, the simple way to deal with your negative thinking, the key to breaking your unhealthy relationship patterns, and so much more. No more feeling like a failure who will never find true love. No more self-medicating and ending up feeling even more miserable. And no more feeling like you'll never be someone who deserves an amazing partner. Sound good? You'll discover a new way to finally feel validated and loved. To stop trying to get your self-worth from the very people who tear it down. And to put you in control of your own happiness. So you never surrender that control to another person again in as little as eight weeks. Register now for my free online class at beyondyourbreakup.com slash free class. That's beyondyourbreakup.com slash free class. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live. We're kicking off the second hour of the program. You can bring up anything... That you want to discuss, the number is 603-283-6160. And in the studio with you tonight, it's Ian. And Bonnie. Coming up, Bonnie has a story she's going to share, uh, which is pretty good news, coming out of Detroit. There's not a lot of good news coming out of Detroit, but uh, this is good news regarding drug decriminalization, specifically, I believe, psychedelic plants. And entheogenic plants and fungi, I think it is. Yeah, that's the same thing, psychedelic and theogenic. And theogenic is a new... The newer term for psychedelic, it doesn't have the baggage that psychedelic does. Uh, So we can talk about that coming up here. And also, I've got a related story about Oregon and their drug decrim that went into effect earlier this year after it was voted into place 
in no, it's November, in 2020. November of 2020. Oh, exactly. but it went into effect. In, okay, sorry. Correct. So we're going to go to your calls and thoughts, though. You can bring up what you want. We got Drake. He's on the line in Colorado. Go ahead, Drake. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Go ahead. What's on your mind? I had a uh, relationship advice for question for Bonnie. It's kind of more of a uh, philosophical question, really. Oh, well, what so, laid on me? So... If you believe in free will, right, choose uh, of your own destiny, God or the universe or whatever, can't make somebody love you, uh, kind of as seen in Bruce Almighty, if you remember that movie where Jim Carrey was trying to make Jennifer Anderson fall in love with him, and God said he couldn't do that. Anyway, so I have a crush on this girl, and whenever I have a chance to make a wish, you know, I'm... I, I don't know if I wish for that girl to love me, you know, not to give away my wish. That's not exactly my wish. But the other day I was driving to work, it was dark, and I saw a shooting star. And, you know, I kind of made a wish about that. And I was wondering what your thoughts were, if that's like a wasted w- of a, a waste of a wish or if that's not something that you should wish about. You know what I mean? I, well, I won't say that you're wrong for making that wish, but I'll say it's only a wasted wish if you're not putting in the effort. Making yourself be around her often. What's the circumstance with this girl? Is she uh, at work? Is she somewhere you know from another, you know, church group? Or, like, what's the, you know, how do you know her? Uh, she's kind of from the same small town, living in a different town, different city. And just hanging out every now and then. Um, like I said, it's just a crush, so, you know. But Okay, but you you I hang guess. out with this person, so does she believe that she's your friend? Friends, for sure. Okay. What do you think about this, Bonnie? As somebody who's got a crush, I mean, ultimately, we're talking about a secret crush, right? Like, you've never let her know about how you feel. Uh, I guess I'm kind of outgoing. It's probably not much of a secret, but I guess I haven't said, yo, I like you a lot. You know what I mean? It's nothing like that, so. Hmm. I would say, you know, investigate if there's any possible reason you know she doesn't like you, like, you know, if she has a boyfriend or anything like that. If you can find any reason sure. that, you know, there's no reason why she wouldn't not like you, then ask her out on a date, because you're already friendly with her. You know, if you leave it all up to the universe, like, in that star, you know, making wishes and stuff like that, then it's probably not going to come true. If you put in some effort, it might. Well, they say luck favors the bold. You know, you you can't... You can wish all you want, but you've got to take action in order to get what you want uh, in this world. I mean, it sounds like if she's willing to hang out with you, she must not dislike you, right? Because a girl that doesn't sure. like you is not going to spend time with you. But at the same time, you don't want to be in the friend zone either, right? And the other thing yep. is, most girls do want guys to make like the first move. They feel like they're being, you know, aggressive. Pursued. If the, Girls feel like they're being aggressive if they're the first ones to say that they like you. Yeah, and they just don't yeah. care for that. Um, right. So, so you know, you've 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 been hanging out with this girl, but you've never really been explicit with her that you'd like to do more than just occasionally see her in some sort of friendly circumstance. Uh, yeah. Okay. And you know, it's more fun when to see a wishing a shooting star and say, you know, think about her than it is to say, oh, I wish I'll get a raise at work. You know, <laughs> right. it's more fun to think about her. You know what I mean? Yeah. But but to answer your philosophical question, I wouldn't say that it's uh you know bad 
I mean, you're not doing some kind of witchcraft spell to try to force her to like you. I don't think right. that would work yeah. anyway, would it? Yeah. I think that's the whole point. Yeah, no, it wouldn't work. Yeah. So what would you recommend, Bonnie, as far as, like, you know, should he wait until he sees her next in person and go ahead and, you know, ask a question about where, you know, invite her out for a dinner? Um, what, what's, you know, what, what would you recommend? Well, if, if, you, it's a, if it's always a situation where you're hanging out with a lot of people and it's never just one-on-one with her, try to get it to where, try to get a situation where you start a conversation with her. Like, think of anything, something she's wearing, like maybe she's wearing a shirt that says something you can make a comment about, just get that one little in yeah. and start a conversation, just you and her. And then if that's all you, you can muster for that day, then, you know, she's like, you know, she's got you as in a tab in her mind. And then the next day you see her, ask her out on a date, something like that. Yep. Well, I will say we went to a concert the other night and when we were walking back, she held my hand. So, that, so you know, maybe, maybe it's looking up. If a girl's holding your hand, I mean, like, to me, that's that's already a sign. Like, they say, whoever they are, that if a girl is willing to t- break the touch barrier with you, then that's a really good sign. Like, and if she's doing it before you're even on any sort of an official date, I mean, that's like that's like the go-ahead sign, right? I mean, don't you think so, Bonnie? That's yeah, like sounds pretty... like, I bet she's just waiting for your, your move. Yeah. Come on, bro. <laughs> Now's the time. Uh, don't, I would say I don't it. delay on this. And uh, Devilman13 on our Twitch chat says, Sack up and ask her out. Confidence is sexy. Uh, okay. Well, thank you, Devilman. <laughs> All right, Drake. Good luck. Let us know how it goes, will you? Call back next week. I will. Thank you. Yeah, don't, don't take any longer than, you know, next few days. Get this done. In four. Saturday, tomorrow. All right, brother. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yep. All right. There you go, Bonnie. You were asking for somebody to call in with a relationship question. That was a great relationship question. Yeah. 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Yeah. I mean, for her to be holding your hand before even an official date or whatever. I was even thinking about suggesting that, like, try to do something where you, you know, touch her arm or something and see how she reacts. Yeah. It has to be subtle, right? Like, you know, something that's not... Creepy. Creepy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So 603-283-6160. Good news coming out of Detroit. I think you had had a story about this before, Bonnie, that uh, Detroit voters were going to be possibly looking at a question in November at their vote uh, as to the decriminalization of psychedelic plants or entheogenic plants and fungi, which would include mushrooms. Uh, so psychedelic mushrooms or, or psilocybin, which is the active chemical in Ayahuasca. Mushrooms. Ayahuasca, which is DMT. And uh, what else? Uh, uh, there's cactus, right? Peyote. So, peyote. Yep, that would be, I think, in there as well. Those are probably the three biggies. Mescaline is also, I think, cactus-based, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I kind of thought mescaline was what's in peyote, but I could be wrong. You could be right. That's one of those ones that I've always sort of been a little curious about, but never enough to to spend time really researching it myself. Neither. Um. And if I recall correctly, wasn't there a group called Decriminalized Nature that was behind yes. this? Tell me more. What's going on and what happened? So voters in Detroit approved a proposal on Tuesday that essentially decriminalizes entheogenic plants like magic mushrooms and ayahuasca. An organization is working to pass similar legislation at the state level and locally here in Grand Rapids. Mike Williams, the co-director of Decriminalized Nature Michigan, they have different chapters mm-hmm. in different states, 
says, while many are listed as Schedule One drugs under the Drug Enforcement Administration, they have medicinal and other religious use. And Schedule One means no medicinal properties. It it's just completely bad for you, and that's why we made it illegal. Right. By the way, the federal government still has cannabis as Schedule One, despite yep. the fact that it is prescribable as medicine in the supermajority of the states at this point. Yeah, forget what doctors think. Yeah, forget all those doctors and all those people out there that have had tremendous uh, medical positive effects from using cannabis. We'll continue. We're going to find out. I imagine they're going to tell us what the percentage was that uh, that voted for this. Coming up here, uh, great news out of Detroit that the people of Detroit have voted for. Again, there's not a lot of good stuff in Detroit, but this is one reason, I guess, to uh, say something nice about them. So voting to decriminalize entheogenic drugs, plants, and fun guy. More coming up here. You can join us on Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live, and phones are open here. You can bring up anything you want. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. In the studio tonight, you've got Ian. And Bonnie. Whether you got a question about, you know, relationship issue you want to ask or you get some sort of issue in the news that you want to discuss, we can talk about anything that happens to be on your mind. Coming up, the uh, crazy Microsoft woke videos. If you haven't seen the, or I, you're not going to see it, but you're going to hear the audio and that's really all you really need out of this, of how crazily woke Microsoft has become uh, we will explain that and uh, share that with you on the way. But right now we're talking about drug decriminalization, specifically in the city of Detroit. And as I said, there's not a lot of good stuff to talk about when it comes to Detroit. The economy there has just been devastated. Uh, there's you know, not a whole lot of freedom to be found in the city of Detroit. A lot of people have left the city of Detroit. It is in a pretty decrepit shape in a lot of cases and a scary place to live for, for some folks. But... Detroit voters did make at least one good decision on this recent November ballot. And, Bonnie, you're sharing that story with us. Yep. Um, so they voted to not legalize, but decriminalize entheogenic plants and fungi. And the group behind it, Decriminalize Nature, the co-director of the Decriminalize Nature Michigan uh, chapter, says, named Mike Liam, says the idea that they, entheogenic plants, are a Schedule One. was based out of fear and hysteria. The whole Nixon-era war on drugs, trying to quell the anti-war mo- movement, trying to quell voices of minorities across the country, William said. He- there was actually a statement that, uh, I think it was Nixon's, I don't know if his chief of staff or some guy that worked close with Nixon who made it real clear that the reason they went with the war on drugs was to specifically target hippies and blacks. Hmm. That was, I mean, it was just straight up. That's what this was all about. Hmm. Wow. They wanted an excuse to, to target and harass and arrest black people and hippies in the United States. And that's what it was. That's why it was created. And hmm. it's still with us to today. Uh, hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars have been spent on this. I mean, it is a crazy amount of uh, money and wasted lives. Hundreds of thousands, millions of people every single year put behind bars, arrested, and lives destroyed because of the war on drugs. The war on drugs is worse than the damage from addiction itself. Yep. 
He says the group will use the vote that Detroit just made as momentum to keep the push going towards a statewide acceptance. And was there any idea of what the vote was, what the actual percentage of Detroiters who voted to decriminalize psychedelic plants? Yes. 53,000 voters voted yes, which is 61%. Okay. And 34,000 voted no, 39%. That's not bad. Not bad. Another thing that was on this uh, ballot, another um, proposal that they voted on, was a vote that would require the the, the Detroit City Council to establish a reparations task force to make recommendations for housing and economic development programs that address historical discrimination against Detroit's black community, and 80% of the voters approved that. Wow. 72,000 people voted yes, and 17,000 voted no. Yeah, so like I said, not a lot of good news coming out of uh, Detroit. I I mean, look, I didn't have anything... I, it it's not doesn't sound good. Because no, I mean to the average person, it sounds good. Like, oh, help black people. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with helping people, but to that's what do we it, understand. But to do it at the you know the point of a gun, which is the only way government can help people. You know, yeah, there's people that benefit from the welfare system, sure, but they're being paid money that was extracted by the threat of violence from other people. And at the end of the day, being given money doesn't actually help people as much as they probably think in the moment that it does. What would help them more would be if the city of Detroit, you know, stopped making them pay taxes. That's one thing. And also if the city of Detroit stopped making them do things like business permits. Hmm. And so what they're talking about here is, oh, well, we'll carve out a special area for blacks in Detroit and, you know, give them some money so they can jump through. The, they'll be more, you know, dependent on the state. Of course. and But give them money so they can jump through the hoops that we've put up to make it harder to open a business. You know, one of the reasons why Detroit is in such bad economic shape as it is is because it's a big city and there's a ton of regulations on business there. Why would you open a business in Detroit when you can open it in a nearby, you know, smaller city and, you know, for a lot less? You wouldn't have to jump through all the stupid regulatory hoops. If you want to help poor people, if you want to help blacks, if you want to help other people that are that are poor and in, you know, difficult circumstances in life, then get rid of regulations. Get rid of the zoning rules. Let people build whatever they want to build as far as their house is concerned without having to ask permission. Let people open a business inside their own home. Without having to ask government permission. Let people let as many of their family members as they want live in one place or, you know. That's another. You're absolutely right about that, Bonnie. That is absolutely a, a rule that exists in cities here in Keene, little Keene, New Hampshire. It's small, one of the smallest cities you'll come across. They say no more than four unrelated people can live in the same household together. And I don't know what they have as far as rules on, on families, but in, in big cities like this, you better believe there's worse rules than that. Well. You know, there's certain occupational limits and that sort of thing. And I understand some people would say, well, I don't want a million people living in the house next to me. That would be a trashy neighborhood or, or whatever. Okay, well, go and live in a neighborhood that has deed restrictions that are a private agent, you know, private organization that people agree to where they say, okay, we all agree together that for the benefit of the neighborhood, we are not going to have more than five people per house or whatever. You know, for the benefit of the neighborhood, we won't have grass that's more than six inches high. We won't paint our houses any color but white. We won't. There's all these stupid uh, rules in these deed-restricted neighborhoods. But the thing is, those people agreed to it. Yep, it's voluntary. Right. So that's why I don't live in those places. And it's just, it's crazy to me to think of 
all the instances where people realize, hey, this system is hurting, disproportionately hurting a minority of people. We, we want to fix that. Let's use the system to fix it instead of de- Make abolishing more rules. Yeah, instead of abolishing the system altogether, let's uh, let's try to change it. Let's try to ask them to be better. And that never never works. It doesn't work. And it's uh, it's just creating more rules, more bureaucracy. They have to hire more bureaucrats in order to administer this because they're adding more complexity to an already highly burdensome system. And that's again one of the reasons why Detroit is one of the worst economically, you know, as far as economical freedom or whatever. It's terrible. I mean, I'm glad to hear that they're going to be able to drown their sorrows with, uh, you know, various different decriminalized drugs. That's good news. But there's no freedom there. So, I mean, it's not going to attract me. I'm not going to move in there. The best chance for freedom for people that love it is to come together into the same place. That's what we're doing here, of course, in New Hampshire. But I am curious to know more about this. I don't know if there's more to the story, Bonnie, or is it just a real shorty? You know, did they get into when this rule is going to go into effect? I believe the proposal that you described last time was that uh, it would be the lowest police priority because they can't, you know, they can't undo the state laws. They can just say, we're not going to enforce it. It says Detroit officials will have to determine to interpret the decriminalization, which will likely take some time. Determine to interpret? Yeah. Okay. Uh, 603-283-6160. I don't know what sort of political BS that is, but it sounds annoying. Yeah. Uh, 603-283-6160. You can bring up whatever's on your mind. You can take control of the airwaves here on Free Talk Live. Looking for a great real estate investment? Consider New Hampshire, which is ground zero for the Liberty Movement. Your first call should be to Mark Warden from Porcupine Real Estate. He's more than just a real estate agent. He's your New Hampshire concierge. Where are the best places to live? Do you want farms, city, the burbs, or forest? Do you want a duplex or multifamily building so that renters pay your mortgage? There are homes in all price ranges in New Hampshire, and Mark can help with financing, too. Invest in Liberty and property. Mark Warden can help. PorcupineRealEstate.com Yep, it's Free Talk Live and open phones here as always. If you want to join us, the number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Here tonight, it's Ian. And Bonnie. And also, Free Talk Live is brought to you by Bitcoin.com. You can head over there and learn the basics about cryptocurrency like Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. Just hit get started at the top of the page. And start learning about this very important financial technology that is changing the face of finance around the planet. It's changing the individual's ability to control their value, to control the value they've created in their lives and take it away from the governments and away from the banks. And if you want to learn more about it, go to Bitcoin.com, click Get Started, and just watch the first video for, I don't know, three minutes of your time. If you feel like digging in deeper, you can do that too. Uh, Once again, that's Bitcoin.com. They also have a great news site for those of you that want the latest news headlines about crypto. Head over to news.bitcoin.com. As we go to Dale, he's on the line in Georgia. Uh, You were listening on our station WGOW in Tennessee, but you said they they went to sports after 8 o'clock. So appreciate you uh, (laughs) flipping over to online. What's on your mind tonight? 
Well, brother, uh, I've just noticed the hypocrisy of the uh, the socialist squad in D.C. And okay, now they had promises for uh, their constituents of uh, what raising the minimum wage and Medicare for all health care. Those two things were dropped. And I'll tell you why they were dropped. They don't want to give people more money or health care. What they want is to set up these bloated, top-heavy government programs like, you know, whether it's uh, some kind of uh, odd health care or child care. And, you know, about 10% of the money will actually trickle down. Uh, you know, they don't have control if they actually give their brainwashed minions actual money. Am I making sense? I'm not for all of that. I'm just mm-hmm. saying they give lip service to them. But when it comes down to it, they set up these programs that are just like different teats on the hog that they, you know, it's like you just suck on this for the rest of your life. We're not going to actually improve your life. No, no, of course not. Set up these, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but here's the thing. They didn't even need to pass the minimum wage increase. All they had to do is print out trillions of dollars uh, and, you know, put a bunch more people on welfare. And now you've got Wendy's. I just saw a sign. We drove by Wendy's the other day offering $14 an hour, uh, low end skillless, you know, labor jobs. And, you know, McDonald's is paying 16 and up or something like that up here. And this is in New England. Even though uh, $14 an hour is worth a lot less than it was in like 2016 when Bernie Sanders was talking about, oh, make the minimum wage. It's getting 15. less and less. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's right. So the it, whole fight it, for 15 is over. It's already f- essentially a $15 wage out there. They really don't want to give people just loose cash because they have no control over that. That's what correct. they want to have is a program that you come out with your, you know, what was the Charles Dickens thing, you know, with your little uh, bowl and asking for just a bit of gruel, please. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's what they want. Yeah, that's exactly what they want. In fact, that's the reason why they're talking about what's called a central bank digital currency. Exactly what I was thinking. So they can give you the money, but they know exactly what you spend it on. They can control what you spend it on, and they can take it away whenever they want. Correct. They tempt, exactly. They tempt your vote with, oh, we're going to give you all of this money, all of this freedom. But then it's like with that uh, so-called $2,000 stimulus, Oh, I'm sorry. It was fourteen hundred, and that unrelated price. You know, they lie. They it's they are such liars. Well, they are, and you know, you called out the uh, socialist squad, but the truth is, they're all liars. Every single person. They in, all are, even the Republicans. Yeah. Republicans are socialists too. Republicans want you to pay for their socialized protection services, like the police. Or the military, or whatever. I guess I'm kind of libertarian. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm I, I'm an American. I'm a hillbilly, actually. Uh, well, here's the thing. Do you want to be and left I love alone? Donald Trump because they all hate him, and that's why I like Trump. You yeah. may not agree, but I like anybody. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene is our congresswoman. I like the fact that they all hate her. Do you want to leave people alone, and do you want to be left alone? Absolutely. That's the libertarian ethos right there, my friend. I mean, that's 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 the key. The problem with a lot of people on the right 
is they can't just leave people alone. Like they can mm. see the they can see the benefit of being left alone. Like they get it. They want their business to be left alone. They but want you their can't smoke pot. Oh, don't smoke pot. <laughs> yeah, you got it. They just Brother, can't. That ain't gonna work yeah, for me. They just can't <laughs> abide the idea that their neighbor might be different from them, and they can't just leave them alone. And as long as you can't leave somebody else alone, as long as you can't just you know focus on your own life and make your own world better, make your oh, own no. your, your family better and just leave other people alone, you'll never have freedom. You'll never be left alone because those other people that you're trying to oppress, they get pissed off and they double back their efforts to try to control you in return. And that's what we have here. We've got the two different sides of the same coin fighting over power endlessly, and it just keeps getting worse and worse after every single president. The power just keeps accruing more and more to the federal government. This has to end, man. What what do your neighbors think about uh, independence down there? What about, what about Georgia's secession? Is there a movement down there anything oh, happening well no we actually where i am in northwest georgia we're kind of we're like you're saying we do kind of mind our own business mm-hmm. uh and we respect each other uh you know nobody cares if you smoke a little weed for instance That's i mean we go to church every sunday but then, you know, I like to twist one up every day, and that's just how it is. <laughs> I love I mean, your accent, man. I, I mean, I, I'm 60 years old, yeah. and, you know, I've been married 36 years, and uh, uh, that's just, you know, I lived in Atlanta 14 years working and living, Yeah. Uh, but uh, I like it up here in the mountains where, you know, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, they're not coming, you know, there's no mandates that's going to be enforced here. Are you on the radio, uh, by the way? You got a great voice, man. I don't know if you've done any radio work before, but I really enjoy well, it. Well, I've been calling into shows. Uh, okay. And, I mean, I've talked to Brian Lamb. You know, I go way back, and, uh, you know, I, uh, uh, I just talk on the phone. Right, cool, you know, man. I call into Walton and Johnson and such, you know. Dale, thanks for your call tonight, man. I definitely love y'all, and I'm going to try to get back online here on the phone, and I'll listen to y'all and peace, love, and legalize. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. That's that's what I like to hear down there. Uh, It's uh, this warm. That call just warms my heart. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The number here is six zero three two eight three sixty one sixty. That is what it takes, though. You have to be willing to allow other people to be free. You know if. If whatever it is your neighbors are doing are bothering you, well, then just you need to just change your mindset. And the other, and those, the other thing about it is those people aren't going to go do something about it themselves. They're not going to go talk to their neighbor. They want somebody else to take care of the neighbors for them. They want the police to go to the neighbors. Yeah, but most of the time it's not even something you should talk to them about. It's like, oh, I don't like their beliefs. Oh, I don't like that he's twisting one up. Oh, I don't like that, you know, there's two men together. Or I don't like that, you know, whatever. Or I don't like that there's three people living in the same house. Oh, my God, three people want to get married or whatever, right? (laughs) Like, there's there's all these different people about there with their opinions about what other people are doing. Man, mind your own business. And, you know, your life will get better. (laughs) And maybe if other people see that people are leaving them alone, maybe they'll be less or more likely, rather, to leave other people alone. If they don't feel like they're constantly under threat from people who have differing belief systems as them. But then again, it's also a lot better for people of similar beliefs to just come together. And that's why libertarians should move to New Hampshire. Conservatives ought to move to Texas. Liberals ought to move to California. And the rest of the 47 states, I don't know what the you know people should do there. Because obviously not everybody needs to go to the, the same three places. But that's what needs to happen, is people need to, to divvy up 
and then then they're going to be you know at least around more people that are more likely to be like them of course then they'll find other things to to dislike about their neighbors just because that seems to be the way people are 603-283-6160 is the number here if you want to join us 603-283-6160 coming up oregon decriminalization of all drugs it passed last year how's it going we'll look into it It is Free Talk Live, and the phones are open here if you want to join us. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Story coming out of uh, Pew Research or PewTrusts.org, I guess. I don't know if it's the same organization, but they did a a nice little write-up here. Yeah, Pew Charitable Trusts is the organization. And they're looking at uh, Oregon, where last year I was surprised to find out that there was a ballot initiative that passed with, I would say, really good numbers. I think it was almost 60% of voters in the state of Oregon voted to decriminalize all drugs. Almost 60%? I believe it was like 58, something like that. Uh, percent. So a decisive victory, not a super majority or anything like that, but a good good number of voters uh, weighed in on the question and they said, yeah, this war on drugs is insane. It's hurting people. And yeah, a drug addiction, it's a bad thing. There's no doubt about it. Bad to be addicted to drugs. It ruins uh, that. An addiction can ruin somebody's life. But don't pile on. Right. And when you say pile on, you mean, oh, you've got a drug addiction. Great. Here's a jail cell. Well, that's going to make your life better. No, it's going to actually make it so you probably lose your job. Because a lot of people who are drug addicts, they're functional. They're not just laying around constantly getting high because you've got to pay for it. right? You've got to somehow pay for the drugs that you're going to put into your body. And usually the way most of them do it. I mean, there's the occasional one that will go out and rob a convenience store or something. But most people, they're willing to work for it. They're willing to go to work, show up at work, get the job done, get paid, and go and get high. Or some of them get high at work and some some of their bosses don't care, right? But they're not out, you know, most drug users aren't committing crimes to get drugs. Now, that said, a lot of drug users do, some do, and a lot of the crime out there comes from people who are trying to get drugs. And so if we were to legalize or decriminalize fully various different drugs, what you'll actually see, what I suspect you will see is you've seen in Portugal where they've had drugs decriminalized in personal amounts for something like close to two decades now at this point, where you've seen the overdoses drop dramatically, like right away. Violent crime dropped too, right? I believe crime has gone down, yes, because it is now easier than ever to acquire drugs in Portugal. And so Oregon decided they were going to do a similar experiment. And the voters passed this thing. I believe it went into effect back in February of this year. So it hasn't quite been a full year of decriminalization, but we're getting there. It's been a full year since it passed. And Pew Trust has a story about it. In fact, they have a story about how other states are looking to follow suit. Democratic lawmakers in Maine, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Vermont have all proposed decriminalization bills this year. Now notice New Hampshire isn't on that list. I don't know if that's because... Uh, well, they said this year, so I don't know if that's going to be 2022 or 2021, because I know that New Hampshire is now filed for 2022, and there's like 800-something bills, so it's possible that just 
not everyone has looked through it yet. So I'm curious to say, I know there's going to be some marijuana decrim stuff uh, that we're looking at in New Hampshire, like even further decrim. Oh, that you're saying all drugs? No, 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 no. Uh, in Maine, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Vermont, there's been legalization or decriminalization bills for all drugs put in, apparently, for this year. But, uh, oh, okay. But New Hampshire wasn't on that list. Yeah. So I don't know if that's simply because they don't know, because there's still 800 bills. But you bills. said all drugs. Yeah, there's none for New Hampshire that's for all drugs. Oh, you know for sure? Oh, I was asking. That's what I'm saying, is I don't know, because oh. there's over 800 bills. Oh. And so I, you know, they don't even have bill numbers yet. So I think we're going to know more once the bills are actually assigned bill numbers and different organizations That's have a chance. That's going to come out soon, right? Because we start within the next month or two. Yeah, because in January we have town halls about it. Yeah, they start in I think a couple weeks into January. Yeah, uh, and town halls not the right word. They're uh, they're committee hearings that happen at the at the hmm. state house. But there are going to definitely be some marijuana related things in New Hampshire. There's some actual like constitutional amendments that have been proposed regarding legalization of marijuana which is an interesting approach nice. uh, and the idea behind that is the governor of new hampshire the ty- uh, tyrant king chris sununu has said he will refuse to sign any kind of legalization bills for uh, cannabis but when it comes to a constitutional amendment he is not a factor because it has to go through the state house and the state senate then it gets put on the ballot and then two-thirds of the voters have to vote for it so, if the House and the Senate pass the constitutional amendment, it goes on the ballot, and then it is put to the voters, not mm-hmm. to the governor. And nice. that's a very interesting approach. We're going to see how that pans out uh, coming up in uh, the future here in New Hampshire, and then maybe uh, decrim can be done the same way for, for all the rest of the drugs. But the, uh, let's see, there's also apparently measures on uh, the 2022 and 2024 ballots in Washington and California, respectively, according to the Drug Policy Alliance. Mm-hmm. They helped fund the ballot initiative that resulted in Oregon's new law, which took effect in February of this year. But Oregon's experience shows it's easier to eliminate criminal penalties than to ramp up behavioral health services and get more people to use them. In fact, critics of decriminalization say such policies could decrease access to treatment because fewer low-level offenders will be pushed into court-ordered programs. However, those critics I will take issue with because if you push people into programs then they are not as effective. If you tell somebody who has drugs, hey, you have to go to this drug treatment center, even though you don't think you have a problem, even though we're you know, going to threaten you with violence if you don't do it, that doesn't exactly result in the same kind of positive uh, effects, right? Because when you threaten somebody into drug treatment, Versus them going in because they have realized that they have a problem. That's a totally different situation. Okay, so if you are being told you have to do a thing, then a lot of people react differently to that than if they're like scraping rock bottom and then they're like, okay, now it's time. So when somebody makes their own choice, it becomes more valuable. And it's also less valuable, especially for the people who are in that treatment program who have chosen to be there. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a treatment program because you've realized that you are a drug addict and you need help and you've checked yourself in or your family encouraged you and you decided to do it on your own volition. And then all of a sudden the court puts a bunch of people in your program, like in your group session or whatever. And we're like, I don't care. I just can't wait to get out of here and do more drugs. Right. Or they're like trying to push drugs on you. Mm. Right. Like, come on out. Let's get high together after the meet. That stuff happens. And so you're actually harming 
the chances of the people who are really looking for help. But anyway, uh, criminalizing a health condition is never the way to go, said the executive director of Oregon's Alcohol and Drug Policy Commission, an independent government agency. So that piece of Oregon's law was beautifully constructed, but it also created a problem because there are some people, the stick of jail allowed them to get into recovery, and now we don't have that anymore, he said. Uh, And again, just just defending using a stick on people that's just not i'm sorry that's not how you do compassion Hmm. if you want to show people that you care about them you let them know how you know what's going on you let them know how you feel hey man you're having a problem here here's what you've done right like you didn't show up at work you stole from your grandmother like you need some help and you offer them the help and if they aren't ready to take it then okay you let them know the door's open when they're ready to to come and do something about it. If now if they're actually stealing, then you gotta there's gotta be something done about that. They have to pay restitution. There should be some sort of punishment there. But just get them away from you. But too. to punish them for just being addicted to drugs, no. That doesn't help. Anyway, they say that Oregon's inpatient facilities and their detox clinics and recovery focused nonprofits have been battered by COVID nineteen and workforce shortages in recent years. It's unclear unclear whether those service providers can expand to serve more clients, say some behavioral health advocates. Okay, well, that's not their problem. That's not the problem of the the people who are addicted. Uh, and that doesn't mean that they should go to jail if there's no treatment centers available. Richardson said states should ensure recovery services are widely widely available before decriminalizing drugs. Quote, unfortunately, use of criminal justice becomes a necessary proxy when you don't have effective behavioral health services, he said. Are we still talking about entheogenic plants? Oh, no, because Oregon is all drugs. Yeah, heroin, cocaine, uh, LSD, you name it. They have decriminalized the possession, the personal possession of drugs. All drugs. And that includes, uh, I believe it includes prescription medication. So if you've, you know, even though you don't have a a legal prescription, if you get caught with a few oxycodones or whatever, you're not going to go to jail. And again, you shouldn't go to jail. And you shouldn't have to wait until there's quote unquote enough recovery services in the market because guess what? The market will respond. If there's a demand for recovery services, people will supply it, whether it be people in search of a profit that want to run some sort of a hospital or whatever, mental services, or whether it be a church, the Salvation Army, or whoever. They can offer these services, and they can do it without having to ask permission, and they can do it voluntarily. We'll talk about the Oregon ballot initiative that passed last year, and uh, the story here over at pewtrust.org looks into it. Like, what are the numbers? They get into that, by the way. Like, how many people were arrested prior to decriminalization, and how many have been arrested in the last 10 months or so? We're coming up here. This is Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live's video archives have been on Library for years. Library is an uncensorable, decentralized, blockchain-based media sharing protocol, and we're big fans of it here on Free Talk Live. In 2020, Library launched Odyssey, a video sharing website to compete with YouTube, and it's really taking off. Now with over 1 million channels, many of whom are disaffected YouTube creators. During YouTube's crackdown for not towing the government line on COVID, the Free Talk Live YouTube channel started receiving strikes and could be completely taken down at any moment. 
thankfully, Odyssey started offering live streaming, so we're now streaming live every night and posting our video archives permanently to Odyssey. You can watch live or anytime on our Odyssey channel by visiting video.freetalklive.com. If you want to go all in, download the desktop app at lbry.com, and then every video archive you watch, you'll help seed and keep it online forever. At minimum, we ask you visit video.freetalklive.com and follow us on Odyssey today. Video.freetalklive.com Free Talk Live It is Free Talk Live. We're kicking off the third hour of the program and the phones are open here. Should you wish to join us, you can do that. Our number is 603-283-6160 603-283-6160. You can bring up absolutely anything that you want to discuss here. We're talking about uh, Oregon's decriminalization of all drugs, and this is something that happened in November of last year. This year, uh, as you reported, Bonnie, the city of Detroit has decriminalized plant and fungi that are entheogenic, meaning, you know, psychedelic mushrooms, uh, which contain psilocybin and, uh, let's see, uh, peyote, for instance, ayahuasca, DMT-based, stuff like that. So very interesting that we're seeing things go in this direction, and kudos to the voters in Oregon for being willing to lead the way, because there was a lot of, of scare tactics, you know, when it came to people that were against the passing of the uh the i don't know if it was like a i guess it's just a ballot initiative so it's not like i don't think they amended the constitution yeah it's just it's just a ballot initiative so essentially it's like the voters passing a law basically it said that if you have uh, possession of a small amount of drugs of any kind so heroin you know methamphetamine whatever mdma uh then it's legal or it's decriminalized it's decriminalized meaning that i think that i don't know if there's a fine involved but they'll like confiscate the drugs and then refer you to uh, like a drug treatment program or uh, up to a certain amount, like under a certain amount, they won't take it, right? I believe that they'll take it if it's anything like um, if it's anything like Portugal, they're going to take it. Hmm. But that's a good question, Bonnie, and I don't have the actual details of what the the law is there in Oregon. But Plus, I, a, a cop might just use his discretion and take it whenever he wants. The cop could certainly use discretion and leave it as well if yeah. if they wanted to. Uh, but the uh, the story here is from PewTrust.org, and again, it's Ian and Bonnie in the studio tonight. If you want to weigh in, you're welcome to at 603-283-6160, especially if you're up in Oregon and you want to talk about how things have been over the last several months. Again, this went into effect in February of this year, and this story is kind of looking at both sides. You know, what are the what is the opposition saying? You know, they lost, but they're still mad. So, like, what are they saying? And then uh, what are the people who are in favor of this and they're, you know, they, they want to, you know, continue in this direction say? So the supporters of the Oregon law approved in 2020 through a ballot initiative known as Measure 110 say it'll take time to implement such a large shift in policy and are urging their critics to be patient. Tara Hust, or Hurst, rather, the executive director of the Oregon Health Justice Recovery Alliance said, we're shifting from a terribly traumatizing system and a racist system to a trauma-informed, patient-centered system. That doesn't happen overnight, she said. The law will use marijuana tax revenue plus any criminal justice money saved through decriminalization to fund organizations that help people seek and maintain sobriety. I just, I just want to know what the heck a trauma-informed 
society is. I, I was trying to wrap my mind around the dumbness she just said. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> if I had to, if I had to guess, I would say uh, it's people who are aware of uh, bad things happening to people. I, I mean, I I, I do agree that the system that is currently in, in place in most states that is you know put people in drugs if they're found. I mean, pe- put people in jail if they're found with drugs is like traumatic to people that definitely increases the trauma right like if it was already bad enough that they were addicted to a drug now going to jail is going to make that worse yeah they may have issues in their life like traumatic events that happened in their life that they can't get over that which is why they want to. that's why they're using drugs in the first place right yeah and that's you know just being piled on but i just wanted to know what the heck she meant by a a trauma aware trauma informed patient-centered system i like the idea of patient-centered uh, you know, let's let's see what this person needs. How can how can they be helped with their problem rather than okay, put them in jail. Okay, lock them up six months, twelve months, stand committed. <laughs> you know. Oh, and then you get out and you're on probation, and then there's a probation officer coming through your house, pawing through your refrigerator. Where if they find a beer in your refrigerator under a lot of probation terms, you just violated your probation. Now you're going back to jail because that's going to make life better. So the law will use the revenue from the marijuana tax and uh, money saved through decrim to actually fund organizations that help people. Okay. Now, again, I'm not in favor of the government mandating anything, but if you have to choose between money going to build more jails in order to put more people inside them who have used drugs versus funding treatment centers, all right, fine. You know, okay, fund the treatment centers. But ultimately, leaving that money in the taxpayers' pockets in the first place is the best way to deal with it. Then each individual gets to decide. The organizations are expected to get about $300 million over the next two years, said Hearst. She notes that's about five times the amount that Oregon is currently spending on services that aren't provided through Medicaid, the public health insurance program for people who have low incomes or disabilities, and about $300 million has already been, or sorry, $30 million has already been dispersed, she said. She says she's asking people to imagine a behavioral health system that doesn't rely on the police and the courts to get people sober. She says we've never done that, though, so it's really hard for people to open up their minds and say, what would that look like? Well, I can tell you, the police and courts don't get people sober. I've known enough people who've been arrested for drugs in my time, and I know how it always goes. They're always counting down the days. As soon as they get off their probation, they're ready to get high. Yeah, and that's how one of my friends died. Like He was off his probation really fresh, and then he overdosed on something. You right, know? he went to the max. I mean, I don't really know all the details about how much he took or anything like that, yep. but, you know, he overdosed right after getting off his uh, treatment probation or yeah. whatever it was. And that just leads me to believe maybe he took as much as he was used to taking and just died. But it was too much because mm-hmm. he hadn't used in some amount of time. Uh, and and there's, sadly, there's so many stories like that. I'm sorry that that happened to your friend. But there's so many people who've been through this and arresting. You cannot arrest your way out of an addiction. It just doesn't work out of this problem. Uh, But the good news, drugs, arrests, and convictions have plummeted in Oregon since February. The ballot measure made possessing small amounts of drugs, such as less than a gram of heroin or less than two grams of cocaine, a civil citation. Okay, here's here's the details. Punishable by a $100 fine. So it is still a finable offense, uh, but you will not be arrested for it. 
You will not be charged with a misdemeanor. You will not be facing jail time. It also downgraded felony charges to misdemeanors for possessing slightly larger amounts. So if you had a little bit more than what was violation level, you won't be going to prison for it. Maybe you'll face some time in the county jail, but again, not as bad of a situation. It's just jail. I'll just go there, hang out, and leave. (laughs) What was that line from? It's from a Real Housewives episode. Some guy said that's viral. It's it's true. I mean, it's kind of like going to camp. Uh, the measure established a hotline that people whom police ticket for possession can call to undergo a health assessment. If they complete the assessment, they can get their citations waived even without further treatment or other services. So I presume that means that they wouldn't have to pay the fine. So if they're waiving the citations, if they go to this health assessment, now they probably have to pay for the health assessment. But again, uh, somebody's going to get paid. The law also requires the state to establish addiction recovery centers or connect people who use drugs with treatment or other assistance, such as housing or overdose prevention education. Again, not nearly as offensive as putting people in a jail cell. You know, that's, I still don't think the police should be doing anything about people with drugs, but I'd much rather have them hand them a pamphlet than put them in handcuffs. Yeah. Before decriminalization in 2019, Oregon law enforcement officers made more than 6,700 arrests and courts issued more than 4,000 convictions for drug possession in cases where possession was the most serious potential charge. According to the Oregon Criminal Justice Commission, between February and August this year, law enforcement has only made 1,800 arrests for those possession crimes. And and of those 1,800 arrests, there's only been 364 convictions. Hmm. Now, this is still not quite apples to or you know apples to apples because it hasn't been a full year yet. But obviously, 1,800 arrests by the end of that that's through August. Uh, obviously, that's not going to get to 6,700. So there are definitely fewer people being arrested. Those who were arrested were most likely carrying larger amounts of drugs or for drug dealing offenses. So basically, anybody with small amounts, they're no longer going through the court system. And that is great news. Uh, let's talk more about the successes and some of the questions around Oregon drug decriminalization. Again, still within its first year of this experiment. And other states are already looking to come on board. And that's what I was hoping to see was a domino effect on this. You can join us here on Free Talk Live with your thoughts. This is Free Talk Live. And we're talking about one of my favorite topics, drugs. Uh, Specifically ending the war on drugs. Because I'm not in favor of all drugs. Some of it, I think, is pretty bad news, honestly. I've seen some people really ruin their lives with addictions to certain drugs. But I've also seen plenty of people have their lives ruined by the war on drugs. People who were completely responsible with their drug use. People who might have been drug dealers. Because I think that also needs to be decriminalized. I think that also needs to be legal. I understand that they're starting where they can start, which is personal possession and that's what oregon did in uh, november of 2020 was the voters there passed a ballot initiative saying all right it's now a hundred dollar fine if you get caught with less than a couple grams of almost every single drug out there basically uh then we're gonna give you a hundred dollar ticket which you can then decide if you want to you can go to uh like a essentially like a health seminar or assessment or something and then they'll waive uh the ticket now you probably have to Brain pay. Brainwashing. You probably have to pay for the health assessment. 
But uh, but you know, you can pay the hundred dollar ticket, and then or maybe you can tell that's him it. You'll sit in jail for the night. I don't know. I don't know how that works in Oregon. I know in in New Hampshire, you're referring to the fact that in New Hampshire you can sit off a fine uh, in jail at one hundred and fifty dollars a day. That's a thing you can do here, but I don't know if every state has that. Um, if you want to weigh in, though, maybe you're in Oregon and uh, you've seen the results from this particular ballot initiative that has made it essentially uh, not quite legal, but almost to have small amounts of drugs. And that's what we're talking about. Looking at the numbers, they're down quite a bit. Only uh, 1,800 arrests through August of this year. It started in February, so that's not quite a full year. of It's only seven months, but... They're definitely on track to have fewer arrests overall because there were over 6,700 arrests in 2019, over 4,000 convictions in 2019, whereas only 364 convictions so far through August of this year. Decriminalization, according to Pewtrust.org, does not appear to be heading to a rise or leading to a rise in drug-related crime, such as property crime. Property crimes in the state actually decreased this year, according to data provided by the Criminal Justice Commission and the Judicial Department. Now, again, that is something that I believe also happened in Portugal, where they have uh, decriminalized various different drugs since two decades ago, roughly. If an addict is able to acquire their drugs easier, and this doesn't necessarily change that per se, so I don't think you're going to see a huge drop in desperation style crime but simply because there's just less police enforcement out there may contribute to a slightly easier access now like dealers being less scared to dealers should still be scared oh yeah because they're still getting they're still getting convicted yeah they're still going to be uh arrested they're still going to probably get charged with felonies but on the other hand the uh, the possession of larger than the personal amount. So again, personal amounts is decriminalized, but they also did some decrim on larger amounts too. So if you had, and I don't know what the exact amounts are, right? So let's just say it's let's just say it's an ounce. Okay, let's say you had an ounce of weed or an ounce of cocaine or something like that, and you get caught. Well, it used to be a felony, and now a lot of the uh, slightly larger. We're not talking about pounds; those are probably still felonies. But the slightly larger possessions, that which is larger than the the decrimmed amounts, the small personal Personal amounts, amounts. is now a misdemeanor. So if a dealer, if he's just got all the the coke or the, you know, the the bud or whatever in one baggie and, and he's not admitting to being a dealer and they didn't catch him in the act of selling... You know, in a lot of places, if you've got like baggies all separated and you you know it's you've got a scale or something like that, then they're going to charge you with dealing. But if you're a little more careful, maybe in Oregon, maybe you'll maybe you'll avoid a dealing charge now. So you know, maybe there's some factors that will make this easier for people. Maybe the uh, the average person who's just going out to buy some drugs, they won't be as afraid, and maybe the the lack of fear on their part will lead them to I don't know feeling safer about buying the drugs. I, I it's a hard it's hard to make the argument that this is going to do a lot to reduce property crime, but the numbers are here. The numbers are in. It says here that there are fewer property crimes this year than there were in previous years. So, uh, you know, I'm interested in hearing your speculation on on why that might be. If you want to weigh in here, 603-283-6160. Why, when dealing hasn't really been touched legally, would property crime go down? Because... You wouldn't think the prices of drugs would go down. Maybe the users think, okay, 
if I'm safer now as a user, maybe more people are using the dark web maybe to get drugs? I mean, that could totally be true, but I, I didn't think about that. But I was going to also say maybe people who are like, you know, before the decrim, people who were like going to jail for this and then getting out, they're losing their jobs and they're just overall poorer drug users mm. because of the, the system. And, you know, they had to do acts of desperation to get their money to get weed. That's a good or, point. Or whatever. I don't know why I said weed. Or whatever Probably it is. like heroin. Yeah. That is a great point because if you had a job and then the police arrest you and you're expected to go to work the next day. Yeah, you might lose your job. You're going Probably. to lose yeah. your job unless you've got a really cool boss who's like, oh, yeah, no problem, man. Just come on in whenever you, you know, get come out of jail. on. Right. Oh, it's going to be three weeks or it's going to be you know, six months. Most bosses, even if they like you, they're probably going to replace you. The longer that you stay, the more days you stay behind bars, the more likely the boss is going to be like, I'm sorry, man, I had to replace you. I had to find somebody else. But if it's decriminalized, you're still paying $100, but you didn't lose your job. Correct. And if you don't lose your job, you probably won't lose your house or your apartment or whatever. So, yeah, I think that I think you might be onto a, a pretty important factor there, Bonnie. 603-283-6160. Uh, let's continue, though. So it says it's less clear, however, whether decrim has led more people to seek help for substance abuse disorders. Defendants fail to show up in court to make their case. About half of 1,300 citations issued through September for possession of small amounts of drugs, according to the Oregon Judicial Department. In only seven cases, did defendants submit a health assessment to get their fines waived? That's interesting. So of the 1,300 citations... So again, let's let's look at these numbers here. So... In 2019, there were 6,700 arrests, but now they can't arrest people for small amounts. So there's only been about 1,800 arrests in seven months of this year, and those are for the larger possession amounts or drug dealing. So the people who got the small possessions, the people who are getting these tickets, there's been 1,300 tickets issued so far through September. But of those 1,300, only seven of them went through the health assessment. Weird. I mean, I guess they were just like, I don't want to deal with that. I'd rather just pay a hundred bucks. That's right. But then again, half of them never even showed up in court to make their case. Hmm. So I don't know what that means for them. I don't know. Because normally if you don't show up in court, they issue a warrant for your arrest because it's called a failure to appear. So do those people now have warrants out for uh, failure to appear? I'm curious to see what the details are on that. To critics of the new law, the seldom used hotline proves that decrim isn't working. Only 51 people have called so far, noted a Republican state senator. uh, And the Oregonian first reported the hotline statistics. Maybe most of these people don't actually have problems. That's another great point. I mean, like, oh, I'm not going to call the hotline to say, hey, I'm using mushrooms. Because right. there's no problem with that. Yeah, that is these people point. don't understand. And, and maybe some of them don't actually have a problem. And maybe some of them just don't think they have a problem. And you know what? They should be free to make that choice for themselves. They should also be free to realize that the state doesn't have to be their solution. The uh, bureaucrat or the politician said people aren't curbing their behavior. They aren't paying attention to the citations. They're just ignoring them. Well, I say hallelujah to that. <laughs> More people should just ignore the government. If enough of us did it, maybe they would go away. More coming up on Free Talk Live. When a lunar observatory detects a radio broadcast originating from Proxima Centauri, the nations of Earth discover their first contact with an alien race may also be their last. With the Proximans facing an extinction-level disaster, Earth must choose between sending a ship on a multi-year journey or allowing nature to take its course. Saving Proxima, a hard science fiction thriller by Travis S. Taylor and Les Johnson. From BaneBooks.com. 
Radio.com This is Free Talk Live. You're invited if you want to join us here. The number, 603-283-6160. You want to weigh in on how things are going in Oregon with the drug decriminalization ballot initiative that passed a year ago, went into effect in February. So we don't quite have a year of statistics under our belt uh, belt at this point. But nonetheless, Pew uh, Trust is taking a look here at the details, some of the numbers, and getting you know both sides to weigh in on, because obviously there's the the side of people that wants to bring back prohibition. You know those people are always going to be there, always pushing to try to tell people what to do and how to live, as though uh, putting people in handcuffs and throwing them in jail cells is somehow going to make their drug problems better. But uh, Ian and Bonnie in the studio here, we're going to go to your calls and thoughts. The number is 603-283-6160. But first, I do want you to know about the BitBox. Now, it's generally not a good idea to keep a whole lot of currency or rather cryptocurrency on your phone. It makes it too easy to spend. You could, in theory, be hacked or somebody could just take your phone from you. And uh, the question of how to safely store cryptocurrency was answered a long time ago. But now BitBox has an even better answer. They've got some different features uh, that you're not going to find on all of the hardware wallets out there. And we're going to soon be giving away three of the latest versions of the BitBox. And Bonnie, you had a little bit of experience today. You have the latest BitBox and you set it up. Yep. I mean, it was really easy. They only let you put Bitcoin, Litecoin, or Ethereum on it, but it's a good little uh, place to keep your, like for me, just Bitcoin, so when I have those. And you uh, you did it within, I don't know, probably less than 20 minutes, and that took some, and that was you know going, going pretty slow. It was your first time ever de- doing anything like that. Yeah, the typing mechanism, it is a good mechanism. It's uh, it, on this little tiny uh, thumb drive-sized BitBox, mm-hmm. you can type without any buttons on it using like a touch screen on the bottom. It's that got you like just... touch sensitivity on the box itself, right? Yeah, on the BitBox itself. Yeah. And you just use that to scroll around the letters. So that's what took me the most time was just uh, creating and typing in my password and confirming it. Other than that, it was really, really simple. You can head over to box.freetalklive.com to purchase a BitBox for yourself and use code FTL for a 5% discount. That's FTL like Free Talk Live is your code uh, at box.freetalklive.com. By the way, one of the neat things about the BitBox is it is open source. Let's go to your calls and thoughts. Aaron is on the line listening to WGSO in New Orleans. Go ahead, Aaron. Yeah, hey, uh, guys. Uh, hey, I just wanted to touch on real quick about the crime stats. Um, yeah. We've got some experience with that here in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we've, we've been dealing with it for uh, over 20, 20 years, and... Um, what happened was um, maybe uh, somewhere around 2003 or 2004 or so, we had a new police chief. Of course, you know, the police chief here gets appointed by the mayor. And, you know, his initiative was, to, of course, to, like they all say, to lower crime. So what he started to do was he started to fudge the numbers. And so, <laughs> hmm. so, so I think that, that may, may be what's going on in uh, Oregon. So, Basically, what would happen was, let's say, 
if somebody would, let's say, shoot at another person, right? Instead of labeling that as like a attempted murder or aggravated battery, they would they would uh, uh, write it up as an illegal dis- di- discharge. <laughs> oh, and boy. So, yeah, and so you had that going on. And so we're, you know, all of these things were, were happening to where it was, uh, they, they, it was the same, the same crime was occurring, but on, on paper, it looked a, a whole lot, lot better because they were simply calling it by a, a, a different name, by a different, you know, by, by a different code. Okay, but what do you, and, uh, why, I get what you're saying as far as New Orleans. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a scummy, uh, scammy thing that you would expect a politician to do. Uh, but, and that's, that is, by the way, what a police chief is. He's just a, po- a politician who happens to be a cop. But um, in, in the case of Oregon, what are you suggesting that they're doing there? Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure, but uh, uh, I know that since the whole George Floyd matter, uh, police have been hesitant to, uh, you know, uh, to approach crime. And so what they what they do is it's, it's the same thing happens here is you call 911 and say, hey, you know, my uh, let's say my shed got broken into my car got broken into. And what they, 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 they do is they simply just do not send a police officer out. They'll say, well, the police the officers are all busy doing on, on other, other calls, more mm-hmm. important calls. And so usually, like, for example, here, the police will come out maybe one or two days later, and if no one's home, they'll say, well, we, 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 we couldn't find <laughs> uh, that a crime happened, and so they just write it off. Mm-hmm. And so that, I know that that's been happening nationwide since the whole George Floyd case. But it's been happening here since way before George Floyd. And sure. the funny part is, is that a lot of these police chiefs, believe it or not, they move on from city to city. So you might have a police chief, sure. uh, let's say, let's say here, but he came from Washington State, or he, or you know, and so these guys move around and they bring with them these quote unquote best practices. Which is, it's a total scam. I just don't see <laughs> I mean, how that's relating to the Oregon thing, because I would think that the police would want to be able to go after victimless uh, drug crimes because, you know, it's revenue for them and a thing for them to do. I don't see why they Yeah, it's they easy. Would... You know, you yeah. bust a drug user and they're not going to usually fight you back. Uh, so it's not a high risk activity. Especially for... like personal use yeah. marijuana. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you, Aaron. They're, the police, especially the higher ups, they're, they're corrupt as hell. And they will absolutely fudge numbers, and they will absolutely tell lies. So, like, I don't, I'm not denying what you're saying is true. I just don't think it's affecting what's going on in Oregon. I got to agree with Bonnie on this one. I, I don't think that the police have any incentive uh, to pretend like they're not arresting drug users because they they can't arrest them. They're now prohibited from from arresting them. So, I don't think that's affecting the numbers there. Well. I think that the best example was was going on in, in Oregon. Like I said, I'm not 100% sure of what's going on as far as the crime stats go. But a good example to point to is that you know under Trump, when they, when the the you know Antifa and these other groups are trying to burn down the federal courthouse there, mm-hmm. and the local police did nothing about it, and so you know the federal government sent in uh, prison guards and so on to look after the federal court courthouse, and mm-hmm. these guys were out there night after night after night, you know, for over a month trying to burn this thing down. Uh, you know, when you look at that example and say, okay, well, if the police chief and the mayor of, of in this, you know, for example, in this city in Oregon is willing to look the other way when people are trying to burn down the federal courthouse, I, I dare to, to say that they may look the other way and say, well, you know, we're not going to really investigate uh, petty street street level drug crimes. 
Like, for example, well, good, they I never do they that. Don't. They never, they yeah, never just say, oh, we're just not going to investigate petty street, street crimes. That doesn't happen. The- well, it does happen because if, if you look now in California, what's happening is Walgreens is saying we cannot operate here because you can steal up to $700 and not get arrested. Yeah, that's true. That's uh, a lot different. But you, I think you're making the mistake of saying, uh, you know, lumping in drug use with crime because stealing is a crime. There's a victim. And if there's no victim, there in my book, there's no crime. Now, I understand that governments say differently. Government in, in the case of them looking the other way, maybe with people trying to burn down a building, maybe they realize there's a huge crowd and somebody's going to get hurt if we try to, you know, go in there and forcibly stop these people with, you know, weapons and fire. Well, we I wouldn't just... try stopping anyone from burning the uh, the courthouse down either, but I don't think that's they're the same motivation. Maybe uh, they just realize, you know, like the per- courthouse burning down is not as bad as what will happen if we storm these people. Could be, but either way, uh, Aaron, thanks for the call tonight. I, you know, again, to to liken crime, which actually has a victim, you know, if somebody's destroying property, there's a crime there because there's somebody who owns that property. Now, in the case of the federal government's buildings, arguably they stole the money to build them, so. In theory, it's the people's building. They can do what they want with it. Um, I don't believe in violence. I don't believe, you know, necessarily in in destruction. I'm not endorsing that. But uh, you know, it's not the same thing as a crime with a real victim, with a real human being behind it, somebody who's actually being hurt, uh, somebody who's being threatened. The state isn't a person, so the state's house burning down. You know, there's no victim. Uh, Aaron, thanks for the call tonight. I I do appreciate hearing from you, but I don't think any of that really, you know, factors in as far as drug use is concerned. There's no victim there. Those people should be left alone. There should be no investigation uh, on uh, drug use or drug dealing, for that matter. It's all peaceful. We're coming up. It is Free Talk Live. Moments remain, enough time for you, maybe, if you want to get your call in right now. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Free Talk Live has been posting video archives on Library for years. It's an uncensorable, decentralized, blockchain-based media sharing protocol. And I want to, once again, want to, you know, to focus on the fact that it is un censorable library is an amazing technology lbry.com you can learn more about that it's so important to have something that's uncensorable in today's day and age of takedowns and deplatforming off these big tech platforms and they launched odyssey to compete with youtube because they wanted to give people a more free place where they can express themselves. There's now over a million channels on Odyssey, and Free Talk Live has one of them. You can follow our channel over at video.freetalklive.com. That is video.freetalklive.com. And we are streaming on Odyssey every single night. And so thank you to everybody that takes the time to watch us on Odyssey. That said, we are still on some of the other more centralized streaming platforms, and I do want to announce that we just added Twitter to our to the ranks of centralized streaming platforms so for as long as we can stream there without being taken down we're going to start doing that just like we're doing on youtube and other places now our audience there i think has been like zero to one so far tonight Uh, but we've got eight thousand supposed followers on twitter so i don't know maybe somebody will take notice i figured it doesn't cost us anything to do it so uh, we're there now so if you follow us on twitter and you want to watch us through that you can over at uh, twitter.freetalklive.com i believe that'll still get you there so uh, with you tonight, it's Ian and Bonnie. Let's go to your phone calls and thoughts. Josie is on the line in Virginia. 
Uh, yes. Josie, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello. Hi um, I think Getter would be better than Twitter, but uh, uh, I don't even use a computer, so who am I to ah. talk? But Getter, G-E-T-T-R, is apparently wonderful, and you don't get knocked off. Huh. Here's why I'm calling. Um, there was a symposium about three weeks ago in Tennessee, all of the best uh, holistic-type people and doctors and, and scientists and everybody like that was there. Mm-hmm. And so from a friend of mine who is a Ph.D. nurse, about as high up in the health field as you can go, she talked to me about some of the things, what's in the, in the vaccine, very scary stuff, uh, and the fact that um, some of the people, like uh, the Pfizer whistleblower, you won't hear from her, I don't know her, her website, Carrie Madge, M-A-D-E-J is her name, um, and whistleblower from the Pfizer. She worked for Pfizer, not anymore, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dr. Edward Group, he's a doctor who was on the Trump's advisory board. And so that is another very interesting man. He spent time in India and learned all kinds of things. In fact, there is one substance that will heal anything from from a disease to poisonous bites uh, or rabid dogs or whatever. Uh, Dr. Edward Group, and um, it's called URO Therapy Research. It has no cost involved. You make it yourself, and it is not unsanitary, believe it or not, but it's the first urine of the day. Urine, yes. Oh, God. Oh, boy. There's a lot of people with... Yeah, I mean, works. just want to be clear that this is obviously your opinion, uh, Josie, no, and you're not Dr. giving Group. medical advice. You can go on the on the website, um, uh, the um, urotherapyresearch.com. There are you. people out there who truly believe that uh, urine is some sort of a cure-all. You now. do drink? Well, he oh, spent like, time in India with people like snake charmers who were working with very, very poisonous snakes. Uh, like vipers and the like, and they had a little pot by them in case they got bitten for the very reason that's what they used. Do they put it on the bite? Themselves. What? Do they put it on the bite or do they drink it? They put it on or they drink mm. it. They do both. Oh. And those miners in Peru, remember them? They were there stuck with yeah. no food or water for a month or more, and uh, that's how they came out looking pretty good. All well, if you don't have any water, I mean, you can recycle oh, yeah. if uh, if you need to. But it's... that worked for them, and they were everybody in the world was praying for those. There were what twenty five guys that were stuck down there. I remember and that. They, you know, it took a while. All I know is this is what a doctor who was on Trump's advisory board. But has anybody said, actually done a study comparing uh, urine to the placebo effect? I have no idea. That yeah. would probably be on their website. I, I don't. Got it. Yeah, I'd I have to wonder if that's uh, if that would show any sort there. of significant difference. Because the, the person I know was there, and she told me all this, and I'm just uh, wrote it down, and I'm talking to you about it now. I yeah. have mm-hmm. never tried it. So myself. you haven't tried it? Okay. Okay. Because <laughs> no. you know, I mean, also told it's I just against common about, sense, right? Now that's not to say it's not true, but right, well, like not, the reason you why your body aside, rejects you something or it yeah. has these things, these uh, excretions, is because they it's done with it, right? Like it's well, not useful these anymore. Excretions is so. every kind of um, vitamin, mineral, and everything else that you can imagine, and we usually just throw it away in the morning. But the other thing is what's inside the vaccines are really horrifying. Metal parts, I'm, see, I'm assuming it must be metal filings, uh, like they can use uh, magnetic uh, things. And then there's parasites. One scientist looked down into the 
of the vaccine, what's in it, and there were other eyes looking back at him. Uh, there was he, he, one lady who said that she had seen some sort of tentacled creature, actually, yeah. in, the, uh, in the vaccine, which is pretty scary sounding. Josie, thanks for the call tonight. Definitely appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly a skeptic when it comes to these vaccines. I'm not interested in in becoming an experiment. I'm not interested in, in, in trying that. No thanks. You know, after what our friends were talking about the other day about how corporations can get around having to spend money to, like, get rid of byproducts they can put it into other things like oh you can have a certain amount of metal filings in cheerios iron shavings iron Mm -hmm. shavings so then we'll put we'll just sell the iron shavings make some money off our uh byproduct and then it gets into cheerios i'm even more skeptical about these freaking vaccines it's really really scary who knows what they're putting in them i gotta say i'm skeptical of all of it i'm I'm skeptical of the uh, the mega corporations who are pushing whatever it is that they're pushing but I'm also skeptical of somebody saying that drinking your own urine uh, is going to cure everything that ails you. <laughs> and I've met somebody else. There was uh, We were at Anarchapulco one year, and there was a guy who, I'm not going to say who it was because that wasn't the reason we were interviewing him, but he sat down and he was like letting everybody know that he had just come from the restroom and that he had uh, utilized his own bodily waste in order to supposedly sustain his health and you know he, I think he was a young guy anyway so it wasn't like he was going to be unhealthy generally but I sorry. think there's something to the fact that if you're just automatically re- revolted or you know disgusted by a thing you're you it's probably not it. good for you yeah because yeah. pee for some reason is one of the most disgusting it's things gross. in the world to me like yeah. if a dog pees on the ground it's way worse than the dog pooping on the ground to me i don't know why. it's just, just that's your body you know s- similar uh, to a dog they know right when they're uh, sniffing a thing whether they should eat it or not whether it generally whether it's whether it's good for them and they will stay away from most of the poisonous things and the same thing's true with with humans you should trust your instincts if your body is saying this is bad you probably should put it down uh, let's continue, though. Thomas is on the line in New Hampshire. You're on Free Talk Live. Uh, yes, good evening, folks. Hey, Thank Thomas. Thank you for having me on. What's on your mind tonight? Well, I was calling because I did something naughty. I had spoken with you guys a couple of days ago, right before the election day. Mm-hmm. And so I had gone around and done, you know, pro-candidate and pro-law enforcement and anti-marital tags around town. And apparently I got hit with not one, but two criminal offenses. Tags? When I, you did. Yeah, t- I um, you know, I actually took chalk that you had given me about three years ago, <laughs> and I have a strategic reserve of about ten more pounds. But I <laughs> tried to go to, I tried to go, and you know, I did a vote for area right on the corner of Roxbury Central. Yeah. I did a vote for Jody, and mm-hmm. a vote for Boston Parisi, and you know, like then I did like a big like X out George Hansel's name right in front of governments or you know right in front of city hall. So, so you took chalk and you there. put chalk on sidewalks on public property. Yes. And, and they it, arrested you for this? No, what it is is I went today to code on the fourth floor. So I asked him like, you know, I have this like ridiculously long number. It doesn't come up, but you said I have a city ordinance violation. You know, state versus Thomas Parisi, um, May 22nd of 2020. And, you know, when I was going there, I was like, what's the violation? How much is it? And when do you arrest me? How many times am I going to do it? Because if there is no arrestable offense, I'm going to do it like 30 to 50 more times before that hearing. So <laughs> they might as well join all the cases. Did they get you, did they catch you in the act and just give you a, like a 
citation right there? No, they sent me a letter. Like they were such cowards that I had called all. I called the city manager, you know, Dragon Lady. I called the city attorney, and I called the head for code enforcement. And none of them returned my phone. And what is this so, violation? What are you? What are they saying you violated? Exactly. It, it's an enigmatic. It's like C nineteen seventeen thirty four twenty one. I wish we had more time to talk to you, Thomas. We're at the end of the show tonight. Um, Thank but you for uh, feel free us. to call in. Call in earlier and tell us more about this. Because if this, if you're getting arrested or targeted or ticketed or whatever for uh, chalking, that's a clear violation of your rights uh, to express yourself. We'll see you tomorrow. Join liberty-minded voluntarists, anarchists, and libertarians from June 27th through July 3rd for the 6th Annual ForkFest at Rogers Campground in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. ForkFest is a fork of the Porcupine Freedom Festival, which sold out for the first time in 2021. ForkFest takes place the week after ForkFest, but ForkFest is decentralized, which means that there's no ticket cost and no one is in charge. All you have to do to join the fun is reserve your camping site, RV site, or motel room with Rogers Campground for June 27th through July 3rd. There's no better place to celebrate Independence Day than around other freedom-loving activists in the Shire. You can find out more at the unofficial website, forkfest.party. You can also connect with other attendees on the ForkFest Telegram and Matrix chat rooms, as well as the ForkFest Forum. You can find links to those at forkfest.party. We hope to see you there. Forkfest.party.